Elton John has a song, and I'm not sure that this is the title of it, but this is a refrain in the song. Quote, sorry is the hardest word. Say that again. Sorry is the hardest word. I think it is the hardest word. For some reason, we all have this great aversion to saying we're sorry. We see that when we're two-year-olds and we've done something wrong and we don't want to admit it. We don't want to say we're sorry. There's something instinctive within us, I think, that thinks that if we acknowledge that we're at fault, that somehow we've given the other license to harm us or even kill us. And so for many people, I know many people, I know many people who go to Mass every Sunday who cannot say they're sorry. And it's, it's evil, and it's really sad. It's really sad. It's so sad. Sorry is an incredibly important word for each of us to learn and for each of us to practice, to say we're sorry. And yet what we do is we, we just keep sort of justifying ourselves, saying, well, it really wasn't my fault. That person set me off. Oh, really? Maybe it was your fault that you got set off. Or it wasn't my fault because, you know, that... Uh, that advertisement on the internet popped up and, you know, I just, I just waded into it. Well, I don't know, whatever. But we're just constantly making excuses for why it's someone else's fault. The second son in this story today does that. He comes to the father and says, what are you doing, Dad? This brother of mine, this son of yours, came and cashed in on the inheritance, which meant that we had to sell a third of the estate and give it to him. And then he went off and, and slandered our family name, you know, on a life of dissipation, drunkenness, and hanging out with hookers and whatever. And he comes back, and, and you just don't welcome him with open arms. There's no, where's the justice in this? You know, so the second son is thinking. The second son is thinking purely in terms of justice. Like, well, I've been here all these years, and he hasn't, and so, yeah. That guy, my brother, he owes my father and me and everyone else an apology, and then he should grovel for the rest of his life or whatever the case may be. But I have nothing to apologize for. I don't need to apologize for being judgmental, for being self-righteous. I don't need to apologize for all those times when I was with my younger brother and I never included him in our games as kids or I teased him, and I don't need to apologize for any of that. We've all just got it in our mind that we're not at fault. Someone else is at fault. And to be fair, many times somebody else is at fault, or mostly at fault, that nine-tenths of the blame belongs on this one person. But what can we apologize for the one-tenth that falls on us? I know many people who can't apologize for anything, and it's so sad, and it's so sad. So here's the thing. Is that before we can get into heaven, we've all got to say we're sorry to God for our sins. And remember, even the smallest sin, just a sin that's just the weight of a feather, would deprive us of heaven because heaven is infinitely perfect. And even the teeniest, smallest imperfection is not allowed in heaven or wouldn't be heaven. So none of us can be saved except for the mercy of God. Not God's justice and his justice were doomed but in his mercy. And so Jesus is setting up this parable to demonstrate to us that A, we need to be like the prodigal son and admit our fault and say we're sorry. We need to be like the Father as God is and accept the sorry 
and not injure or hurt the one who is wrong, who is asking for our forgiveness, but to reconcile with them if we can and to love them. And lastly, we should not be that other son who holds the grudge. A word about forgiveness. We all know that we have to forgive before we get into heaven. There's no one in heaven who is still holding something against someone. We have to forgive. It means we have to forgive our mother, we have to forgive our father, our husband, our wife, our children, our siblings, our co-workers, a former boss or a current boss, a former employee, a current employee, friends, a former best friend, a lover. We have to forgive. And we know that, don't we? We have to forgive. But then we say, but when I try to forgive her, I still think about this person. I get so upset and hurt when I do. Okay, that's your feelings, but that's not your your will. I have the sensation to anger or the sensation to depression or the sensation to fear. But that's not the will. The will is to forgive. And then I might have those sensations, but I still have to give the person in forgiveness to God. So please do that with everyone. Take them to Jesus and say, Jesus, Lord, I forgive them as you forgive me. Now, whether or not you can have a relationship with them or not is another story. That's a matter of boundaries. It might be that that person is dangerous in some way, and we need to be boundaries, etc. But they need to be forgiven, and it might be that they need to be forgiven and kept at a distance. Or maybe there's the possibility of reconciliation. The father could easily say of that son, I will never speak to that son again. Not after the way he so disrespectfully treated me. And believe me, 2,000 years ago when they were hearing this, it meant way more to them than us. A family name was incredibly important. I grew up in the the small town of Stevenson. The Nathan name was a big deal. My dad was the only dentist in town. He was a deacon and the de facto pastor of Little Star of the Sea Catholic Church. Nathie was a big family name in Stevenson for many years. The father has every reason never to speak to his son again. The father might say, my son hurt me so bad I could never be in a relationship with him again. Every time I think about him, oh, I just I feel so much pain about what he did. But the father lets go. He just lets go. Maybe the father recognizes the father in the parable that he too is a sinner. Maybe in his youth he did the same exact thing that his own son did. And he disowned his father and his family and went off and lived a life of dissipation. Who is he to hold it against his son? Who are any of us to hold it against anyone? We're all, we're all lost. We're all damned. But for the infinite mercy of God. And so God is asking us, to be godlike. Reparation. What does it mean to be godlike? Well, this is what it means to be godlike. Imagine the father who daily is looking and looking to see if the son will ever return. What if one day the father says to his good son and to the others, servants and whatnot, he says, and this little bag and my stick over my shoulder, I'm going to go look for my son. I'm going to search heel and dell far and wide through rain and burning heat and cold. I'm going to try to find my son. 
And when I find him, I'm going to tell him, son, if you'll repent, I'll accept it. And I'll welcome you home again. And then upon finding his son, he finds his son sitting on a bar stool in a tavern with a hooker next to him. And the son is indifferent toward the father. And the father's saying, please, son, I beg you. I beg you to say you're sorry and to come home with me. And the son still won't do it until finally the father says, Son, I'm going to do the most that I can possibly do for you to show you how much I love you. Son, I'm going to die for you. And I hope that in that death that you will see how much I love you and that you will say you're sorry and come home. And I have no idea if my death will compel you to conversion or not. I don't know. But what I know is it's the last final thing I can do. And so I'm going to let the mob outside torture me to death on the chance that you'll say you're sorry and come home. That's incredible, isn't it? That's, that's ridiculous beyond logic. And that's exactly who God is. It's exactly what he did for each one of us. Every one of us was that sinner, sinner sitting on the bar stool, having blown it. And he says, I'm going to gamble my life for yours in ransom. So this is what we can do. Uh, I have a hard time saying this. I have hurt people in my life that's changed their life. I hurt them so badly or betrayed them so badly that their life was forever changed. Now I hope and I pray that they have healed and that they've been able to move on and that good things have come to them. But I can't undo what I've done. I can't undo it. I can't wave a magic wand and it never happened. It is what it is. And that's true for most of you. Or if you're a child, it's yet to come. And there's no fixing it. There's no fixing it. There's just giving it or them to God. That's it. I just, all I can do is give them and it to God and hope that God can fix it. But in the giving of them to God, I can still do things. And we call this reparation. I could, for example, go to Stations of the Cross on Friday when I don't feel like it. I'd prefer to do it on my own in the church somewhere during the week or something. But no, going on Friday because that's the most penitential time to do it. And I'm doing it because I want to heal somebody. Somebody that's either in my mind or just the 7.4 billion people in the world who need healing. And I have no idea how my going to Stations of the Cross affects anything. But I know done in love and in sacrifice that God is using it and it is doing something good. I know simply going to bed on time at night so that I can get up on time in the morning to say my prayers. Even though I have the sensation to stay in bed because I'm still too tired, my will says I want to get out of bed and go pray. And I'm going to do that because that's an act of love, an act of reparation that might save somebody. I'd said to the altar boys after stations on Friday, and then we have that consecration in Russia, and the boys have to carry the cross and the candles, and one of the boys handed off the cross to the other boy, and he was literally perspiring down his face. I mean, it was, you know, to hold that stuff for 45 minutes, even if it's a light weight, for 45 minutes it gets heavy. 
And these little guys are just trooping an hour. They got back to the sacristy and I said, Boys, for stations to the night, you might have saved a soul from the fires of hell. Because you came here and you carried those candles in that cross and you sacrificed your time. And you might have actually saved a soul tonight and you had no idea. And it's true every time we get on our knees or every sacrifice we make to pick up the phone and call a lonely person or to befriend somebody who nobody likes, including us, because we're such a difficult person, but we befriend them anyway. And we just we fake that we like them. And we get other people to think that we like them and whatever, you know, sort of thing. And the whole thing is a sacrifice of love. These acts of reparation are incredible. So I can't fix the damage I've done. I can maybe help. I can certainly say I'm sorry. But I can't undo what's been done. But I do know that I can still do things that will help that person or, more importantly, many unknown people to me that will do a lot of great good. So, be the father. Be the father whose son runs off He's just ruined your family name, took a third of the property and money with them, and be the father who keeps praying for the son, who keeps loving the son, who keeps fasting for the son, who keeps giving to the poor that maybe somebody out there somewhere will give to the poor that will help his son somewhere. Do for the other, even though you're not at fault, even though they're the one who needs to say they're sorry and they won't. But maybe through those acts of reparation, they will finally say they're sorry. They will finally wake up. They will finally be saved. Be like God. Forgive unconditionally. And then out of love, do what you can to repair.